Good morning and welcome to the first church service here back at our home at Bromley Moran of 2019. Welcome to all of you. I know many of you have made New Year's resolutions, some of which pertain to weight loss. And so what we wanted to do was the first thing you saw when you walked in was we had plenty of donuts and cookies <laughs> out in the hallway. Um, but if not, if you stayed strong to the end, uh, good on you. Uh, but uh, it's good to see so many people here, so many new faces as well. We're actually kicking off our, uh, our new theme for this year, uh, which is building family right there. Uh, and so talking about building family, I tried to do a cross stitch with the family. If you, if you see it, uh, you know, like you think about like home sweet home, those things you see uh, that are kind of, what do you call it? Cross stitch? I think that's what you call it. So um, in Ideally, you could just appreciate it without me having to draw attention to it, but that's not what kind of artist I am. I need to draw attention to it to feel secure that, that making each one of those little X's was worth my time. Um, so building family uh, is our, our theme for the year. And what we're going to be doing uh, is something that we haven't done in the five years my wife and I have been here is go through a, a book in the Old Testament. Um, that's when you all go, ooh, wow. Impressive, impressive. How does he do that? Do we even believe in the Old Testament? I don't know. We're going to find out in the next four months. Um, but we're going to go through the book of Genesis. Uh, the book of Genesis, uh, a book that has a lot of questions. We're going to be talking about some different things in Genesis. One of the great things about the Old Testament, one of the things we're going to have to remember as we read the Old Testament, is just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God wanted it to happen. Okay, just because it happened doesn't mean God's proud of it. Okay, but he, it's written there for something for, for us to be able to learn from it. Some of it's going to be positive. Some of it's going to be a cautionary tale. But they're all going to there's, there's a lot of awesome nuggets to pull from the book of Genesis. And over the next five months, we're going to do just that. But Genesis is kind of a strange book. It's a different kind of book. Um, it's got the Garden of Eden there. It's got the, the flood. Uh, and we can ask a lot of questions. We're going to have plenty of time to dive into this stuff. And it's going to be a blast. Um, I actually love the Old Testament. I spent much more time studying Hebrew than I did Greek, um, and I uh, am very fond of it, and so hopefully that fondness comes through. Um, But one of the things, one of the questions is, is what's God really trying to do with the book of Genesis? Why do we have these stories? Is it really just the Christian's kind of version of these myths? All really, uh, all cultures have these myths, these creation stories. We're going to get into all that in due time. But one of the things I thought that my wife and I thought would be helpful before we start in Genesis is to actually kind of begin with the end in mind. Where's God going with all this? And we'll start there. We're actually going to pop in at the beginning, kind of knowing what, what, what the whole culmination of all of the, all that pertains to this book, all the ongoings of this book uh, really are, why they have any kind of value. Uh, and so one thing to remember, one thing to keep in mind about the book of Genesis is what is God trying to do now? A lot of times we think of these things with Genesis. We think of uh, the Garden of Eden. We think of the flood. But really all those creation stories, uh, um, all those stories about mankind are really just the first 10 chapters. The next 40 are about a family. Uh, The next 40, God decides to actually camp on the family. Uh, The other stuff is is not so important. I mean, it's important, but what he's really trying to emphasize is God really reaching the world through a family. And if you think about us here in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg and, uh, and beyond, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to reach people through family. Now, what, we, what a lot of churches can do and what maybe we can be in danger of doing is trying to reach people through. Uh, there's two different ways churches try to reach people. One's called mainstream. Mainstream is we're going to try to go be exactly like Charlottesville. We're going to be we're, you can't even tell the difference between an atheist 
and anybody part of this church. We're just going to assimilate perfectly into Charlottesville, which is great because guess what happens when you do that? There's no persecution. They love you. We get the building right in the center of town. We get on the endowment funds. Uh, we get to have all the, uh, the star players at UVA. We get to have all the, 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 the academics, right? We get all that, all that stuff, and we're loved, and we're, there's no persecution. That is a popular way to go about reaching people. The flip side of that is fundamentalism. So instead of just assimilating, the other thing that churches do is they say, no, everything out there is evil and wrong and the world is just going to hell. And you know what? They don't have this one thing we have. We have this, this doctrine, this special nugget of doctrine. If they could just learn, but in order to come into our group, you've got to learn the nugget of doctrine. But once you learn the nugget of doctrine, you're in our group, you're not with them, you're with us, and we can just kind of hover around this, fund- this one little fundamental thing but you know what's interesting about that is that also has no persecution because you don't care anything about what the world says. You, you, you basically kick them out of your life. You expel them from your life and just kind of insulate yourself with like-minded fundamentalist people. But both are actually, uh, uh, um, they're both very easy and a lot of churches fall in either one of those categories. But is that really the calling as we rack our brains to try to reach uh, people for Jesus uh, is that really the right way to go? And I believe what we're going to look at today is what God's been doing since the beginning is trying to help us not actually just uh, uh, basically filter toward the extremes, but actually find a great tension right in the middle of what it is to engage your community while still having biblical conviction. Um, but the danger with that is, guess what? The appeal of both those other options, no friction. Guess what this one has? It's going to have some friction, but that's okay. Anything worth doing in life uh, We'll have some friction. Anything that has value has a cost. We're going to keep looking at that as we go, but how to really reach our community through having the tension of being engaged, but also remaining, also while still having conviction. But one of the things about Genesis, uh, one of the scriptures that helps us keep kind of a, a meta or kind of a, a broader view of what God's doing is from the book of Exodus 19. And the scripture there reads, although the whole earth is mine, says God, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is the goal that God, through Abraham, through one family, is going to try to reach the world by actually having a a kingdom of priests. Now, what what does a priest primarily do? A priest intercedes for people. A priest tries to show God to people. A A priest puts himself in a position to try to be a medium to bring people to God and to bring a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The whole point of the book of Genesis is to be able for God to choose these people, the Israelites, who honestly, from a historical perspective, I studied history in college, from a historical perspective, are uh, militarily uh, pretty awful. David is like the best it gets for the Israelites, and that's it's kind of a shame. Uh, the Israelites are not impressive militarily. The Israelites are not impressive economically. The Israelites don't have anything to attract us. Isn't it crazy that the, the main world religions come from a tiny little section there in the Mediterranean? There's nothing about Israel that's impressive. <laughs> if you go to Israel today, like we actually have all these visions of the nativity scene and all the, like the, like the, the barns and farm animals and woods. When you get to Israel, it's desert. Yeah. It's rocks. It's not, it's not an impressive place. But God's chosen this place not to say, hey, look at all this success I've had with all these self-help schemes that we've done to make ourselves this incredible people. He actually has chosen a people basically with nothing to draw us to them except that they're different. They're distinct. They're a holy priesthood. They're a kingdom of priests. And so today we're actually going to be in 1 Peter 1. So if you want to hop over there, that's where we'll begin. Um, actually, Jacob Roney here just got back from London. I don't know if Jacob's still here, but um, Param was just there. 
But this is a map of uh, the UK. And um, when we read a book like Genesis, one of the things that's easy to do is just make it, uh, a moral, make it moralistic. Okay, Abraham, you know, was uh, deceitful and cowardly towards, toward his wife. So, you know what, men? Don't be deceitful and don't be cowardly. Stand up and be a good husband. That was what most people do when they read the Old Testament. But we're not going to necessarily do that. We're going to find how each and every situation in the Old Testament relates to a greater and truer purpose. When you're, if you notice in, uh, in the map of the UK here, no matter which road you're on, they all lead to the same place. All roads lead to London. And so if we were to zoom in even, pick a road, pick a spot, you ha- you're going to get to London. All roads lead to London. And in the same way in the Bible, all scripture leads to Jesus. Every scripture in some way is reminding us or pointing us toward the truer and greater uh, purpose, the truer and greater uh, truth, which is Jesus. And so when we go through the book of Genesis, we got to have a lens of how does this relate to Jesus? Now, I know one of the things I've heard, I'm, I, I'm not myself a parent, but I've heard as, as and I could see it being very tempting as a parent, when your kid does something wrong to just go to a scripture in the Bible and say, look, it says not to do that. So don't do that. And that's very easy and nice, but it teaches the kid to be like, oh, the Bible said just it's just a blind, not blind, but just, I guess, rote obedience to a commandment. But every scripture actually um, is not just a do this, do that, but it actually should point us to a deeper truth of what Jesus is trying, trying to say. I had a friend of mine who was raised uh, in a Christian family, and he said that it was funny. He, he jokes about it now, but every time he did something wrong, his dad would sit him down and they look at a scripture, but his dad would always ask the same questions about, you know, how does, what would Jesus think about this? And how does this relate to Jesus? And as a kid, he's like, I just had no idea what the answer was to any of that. Like that just made no sense to me, but he was trying to help his son think a little bit deeper and a little bit truer about what these passages are, passages mean and what they are and how they can relate to all of us. So I say all of that to set up this passage, which is, which is our theme passage for the next six months in first Peter one. The title of my lesson today is the precious cornerstone. After I finish In about 15 minutes here, we're going to take communion together uh, and wrap up service. You know, what have you been working so hard on these past few weeks and years? Uh, A lot of us spend so much time, so much energy to get one thing in our life to be really good. Just that one thing. And if we have that one thing, we we fall back on it. And if that one thing is your relationship with your spouse, maybe things at your job don't go well, but you fall back on this. At least my marriage is okay. That's your, that's your everything. That's your deeper truth. Everything, for students, I see it a lot of times. Students who get uh, scholarships to UVA uh, for academics or athletics. One of the things I hear a lot from athletes is they were the best at their school in high school, and then they come to UVA, and they're like, man, this is really hard. Everyone's good. And it's actually not just sort of a healthy, well, now I'm going to still do my best. It really shocks them and it destroys them because for 15 years, 18 years, they've been building an identity. They've been building a life. It is. I'm a really good sports. I'm a really good athlete. And when that is crushed, it's not just, oh, it hurts. It's actually like depression. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, an anxi- it's anxiety because this was their everything. This was their fallback for those of us who it's our job. As long as things that our job are good, we're good. Uh, and so all of us have this, this cornerstone, if you will. Um, and 1 Peter 1.24 talks about this cornerstone. We'll start there. It says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. You know, in the book of Genesis, we're going to see a lot of those things. We're going to see malice, a lot of deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. But like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation so that you have taste, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans and, and, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a, there it is, holy priesthood. Sound familiar? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe the stone, the builders rejected has become uh, the cornerstone and the stone that caused people to stumble a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, Peter is trying to help his church understand that we've received all these good things. And if you're a disciple this morning, you understand what that's like. You understand that a lot of us, man, we, we were in darkness. We were in slavery to sin. Uh, we had no hope. We had not received mercy. But now that we've tasted what the Lord can do through his goodness and through his favor and through all the blessings he can give, not just not things really, but all the, the, the true spiritual things God can give, we have a purpose. And it's not a lot of one of the things I, I was talking to a guy who mentors me, another pastor and another minister. And I, I told him that I don't like uh, religious music. And he laughed. He's like, you're a pastor. Like, you're spo-. And I was like, I know people think that I'm supposed to like that I just go home and listen to Christian rock all day, I guess, or something. And just like doodle, you know, Christian lyrics. But I have a, I have trouble. I was raised in a very religious area and everyone was Christian and religious. And I just it just it, now part of it is I got to make sure I'm not being judgmental. But a part of it is, too, is it just it reminds me of something that's so, so fake. You know, it's so fake um, to a lot of people. And you think about um, I lost where I was going with that. But the, <laughs> it was probably going to be good. But I'll wake up tonight like, ah, that's what it was. Uh, I'll just say it next week. But there's a, a thing of, something about religiosity, something about being fake, right? And what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to get deeper beyond just the religious uh, things you can do on a Sunday or things you can say or things you can be to one another, but to really get deeper. And that's really, really difficult. And Peter's trying to help his church understand that you've not received. Oh, I got it back. So you've not received uh, all these good things. Sometimes I can listen to like a sermon on television and he, the, the minister or the pastor will make it sound like we've received all these good things so that you can be comfortable, 
so that you can be happy, so that you can make more money, so that you can have the person you want to marry, so that your kids can do what they want, so they can excel and get good grades at school. It's like God gave us all this stuff so that we can just have more stuff. But this passage says you, you weren't given those things for that reason. You were given it to share it. Our primary purpose is actually to be priests, to go intercede for Charlottesville, to not say, oh, man, they're just they've, they've messed up. They've lost it. But to actually go intercede, to go engage these people, to love them, but to also try to show them Jesus. And that is incredibly difficult to do because most people, most Christians in their immaturity, will either just say, man, they're crazy. I'm just going to hang out with Christians. Or they'll say, no, they're just like all of us. We can't judge them. Let's go be just like them. I'm going to the club. I'm going out. I'm only going to do the minimal with church. I'm just going to be exactly like the world. But both people are avoiding uh, rebuke. They're avoiding, avoiding tension. It's just the easy way out to try to avoid any kind of conflict. And Peter's trying to help his people understand that this is not what God has been doing from the beginning. Uh, a lot of us have played a game called Jenga, I think. Uh, and you know Jenga, you know the rules, right? You got to take out the blocks and whoever takes out the block that causes the building to topple, you lose or your team lost or whatever, right? Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting game. It's, it's actually had some staying power. People still play it. But one of the things about Jenga that's fun is you ever have that person right away go for that bottom level <laughs> down here? <laughs> just, just right away. Like, dude, come on. Everyone always goes for that top. Everyone wants that top level. That's easy, man. Or the, the second from the top or the third from the top. And sometimes you get a daring person who's like, oh, I'm going down there, baby. <laughs> and, even if, and even if you went down there, even if you did, where are you going? Middle block. Middle block. Coward. <laughs> because they know, they know you can't go for that corner. You can't. It's game over with the corner. It's going to topple. You know, what's interesting. If you ever if you get a chance to do this, it's a fun family devotional, but shake different parts of the tower. But if you shake the cornerstone, the whole tower shakes. When our cornerstone is shaken, when when if your everything is your marriage, if your everything is how people think of you, if your everything is your grades, if your everything is your even just your religious resume, if your everything and that gets shaken, people's lives are destroyed. I mean, mental disability, I mean, physical, it's, it's, it's far ranging. And I think that we're seeing an increase in mental health because we're, we're raised in a very uh, affluent nation um, where uh, when, you're, when you're in a tough spot financially, you always have hope. It'll get better. When things are really good, you think, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? This is my whole, this is, I can't, it's not going to get better than this. This is supposed to be the best. We were a nation built on doing more. And there's a depression that follows that. There's a, it's a, you realize, wow, this is not, that cornerstone will be shaken. It will always be shaken. Uh, my wife and I got a chance to go to the Western Wall in Israel. This is the Western Wall of the temple. When the scripture here says uh, he, he, that God is building us up to be a spiritual house, the literal is God's building us up to be a temple. Now, this is, the, this is a wall of the temple, the temple that Jesus would have seen. Um, now, not the whole wall, just the base there. The rest of it's been built on over and over because it gets knocked down so frequently by uh, different uh, invading nations. That's all different. You can actually see the different types of wall there by different uh, invaders and different conquerors. But that base has never changed since Herod, wow. all right, since Jesus. The base has never changed. 
And my wife and I got to go. This is a close-up. You can't really see it, but all the blocks are kind of the same size except for this guy here. It's massive. That is the actual cornerstone of the temple. And so when Peter says, listen, God's building us up. God's trying to build something that lasts. And all of us want to build something that lasts. That's our whole life, right? We want to have some kind of enduring legacy. We want to be able to do right. Some of us spend all of our time just trying to make sure our kids are going to be okay financially and emotionally and different things. This cornerstone has stood the test. of It hasn't gone anywhere. The cornerstone is still there. The cornerstone is the most important part of the building. And the challenge I want to give to us this morning is to admit. Now, I'm not going to ask you, do you have a, another cornerstone besides Jesus? Because some of you will go, no, Jesus is my cornerstone. All right, when's lunch? You know, uh, <laughs> instead, I'm going to say, admit, y'all got to be honest now, admit you already have another cornerstone besides Jesus. Admit it. That's a hard one. because Some of us don't want to go there, but some of us don't want to go there because it's true. Admit the first step is you got to admit I have another cornerstone. Uh, now, amen. Like we, some of us go, well, I really want it to be Jesus. Amen. But I think I think we got to at least first identify the problem. Yeah. What is the other cornerstone in your life? What's the thing that you fall back on? That's the most deep thing. That, that's, that's your fallback truth. And is it Jesus or is it these other things? You know, these other things. It, it's just the most depressing thing in the world when you find out, when you realize your whole life's been built on this thing. It was never, it was never was going to be fulfilled. It was never going to be able to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts. You know, when we pull the cornerstone, this girl went for it. I appreciate her bravado, her gusto. She went for that bottom, that bottom uh, row there, and uh, the thing topples over. But uh, I was just thinking about, man, this is like some of us, when those things get attacked, and sometimes it's not, it's not our own fault. Sometimes it's like, health in the family. Sometimes it's financial issues. Sometimes it's real legitimate sickness. But a Christian is not somebody who's perfect. We're not going to be able to reach Charlottesville by being perfect because I've met a lot of you. And (laughs) I've also, and you've met me, right? You know me too well to know that's not going to be, we're not going to reach Charlottesville by putting on the face. Oh, the kids are all nice. The house is clean. Come on over. Everything's perfect. We're not going to reach people like that. We're going to reach people by letting them see our mess. But by saying, actually, the mess is here, but it doesn't shake me. It's not my cornerstone. Yeah, my son's having a hard time, but, you know, God's really given me a lot of strength and hope throughout all of it. Yeah, my grades have been tough, but I'm so grateful for God. I'm grateful for the church to help me through this time. Yes, it's it's true that my daughter, my son, my father is sick and they may pass away. But you know what? It's hard, but I've just been able to see how much God loves me through other people. I've been able to see how time is precious. But people see that and they go, wow, it's not that Christians don't face adversity. As they deal with it, but they have a different cornerstone and they're not shaken by things. The early Romans, they, when they write down their histories, the thing that, about the Christians, they actually mention the Christians as a different genus, a different actually like race. So when he says we're a chosen race, he's not talking about skin color. He's saying he's actually kind of being facetious. Like they make fun of us for being actually like a different people. We're actually like a different ethnicity, Christians, right? But he says... He says, listen, uh, the Romans, they remarked that the Christians, they, the, the thing that stood out to them was how they died. He's like, man, they died different. They don't, they, they don't yell. They don't scream. Pregnant women dying at peace. That's incredible. But it's because they had cornerstone. They had a cornerstone in Jesus. And that's a challenging. I, I say that right now. And I, I got chills like, can I do that? I get really afraid. Some of us 
Don't want to leave the house because of fear and different things that may happen. And let's be real. Like we got issues where we don't have it all together, but we do have somebody who is all together. And that's the challenge. And I want to close out with this. How do we face this world? How do we conquer it? How do we engage people in the world? How do you go over to somebody's house who's going to do things that probably are sinful? Do you leave? Do you stay? Maybe they, what do you pray in front of them? Do you do that little thing where you pray to yourself and kind of just call it a fair? You know, uh, what do you, how do you act with, with the world? How do you engage them? How do we show Charlottesville? Because it would have been easier to just come up here and say, all right, this is what we got to do. Three hours a week, we're going to go share our faith. We're going to do this. We're going to have this Bible study, that Bible study, this Bible study. Bada bing, bada boom. We're going to grow by 30. Have a good year. But guess what would happen? None of our hearts would ever be affected. We would just go do something together, and then our hearts would never be touched. Instead, we're going to trust that the evangelism is going to be fine. The evangelism is going to be okay if we all have a cornerstone that's precious. And that's the challenge. Do you have a precious cornerstone, right? He says it first in verse six, for uh, I lay a stone in Zion, a, pre- a chosen and a precious cornerstone, right? It's, and then verse seven again, now to you who believe this stone is precious. Is Jesus precious to you? And I'll tell you how you can know. When you go to the doctor and the doctor says, it doesn't look good, you're going to die. But we do have medicine, your response will probably be, oh, okay. And they go, and how, how much can the medicine help? Oh, the medicine can cure. Oh, all right, so it's not such bad news. Okay. And, but the doctor says, hold on, it's expensive. You probably go, never mind. Um, I'm on a budget and I'd prefer not to pay too much for this medicine. No, thanks. No, you wouldn't do that, right? You'd say, I don't, I'm about to die. You're talking to me about money? Tell me what, oh, it's going to cost your car. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to change jobs. You're going to have to give up these things. Any one of us would say, fine, okay. We wouldn't need longer than a second or two to consider it. Why? Because our life is precious. There's only one of them. We'd give up those things in a second. But time and time again, for a lot of us, Christ is not the one that, that gets chosen. It comes down to midweeks coming up this week, Right? It's the little stuff. Midweek's coming up this week. Oh, I got school. But Jesus is precious to me. Right? We got stuff. We have a whole new slate of a youth and family devotional for our kids this year and for our parents. There is awesome opportunity for your kid to be able to see Jesus and start building a cornerstone in their life now. At the age, of, you know, at the young age, whatever they, whatever they are, whatever age they are, right? That's an awesome opportunity. When the time comes, will you choose? Oh, but you know what? I know you have that, but she's in sports. He's in sports. Sports is more important than God. How about, how about your own quiet times? Yeah, but I'm busy. Yeah, but, I'm, but, I, but, I'm, but it's precious. And I say that to you as I'm saying it. I'm challenging myself as well because, to be honest, I think a lot of us, we believe it in our head. But it's really, really, really difficult to live out a life where Jesus is precious. Yeah. The beauty of it is, the beauty of it is, is that none of us are expected to get it perfectly right. All we're supposed to see is what Peter says at the very end here in verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's beautiful is that we don't have to go out there and, and say, Drew, how do I do that? How do I? But, it's, but it's, here's the thing. If you feel it's like, I gotta, I gotta have a quiet time this week. I gotta come to church and I gotta have my kid go to Devo now because Drew told me to. That way I know that I'm in good shape with God. Don't do that. Here's the thing. See Jesus, see what he's done for you. That even though he could have chosen to leave, to not die, but he died for you. That he actually lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. Just so that you, what's the word? Might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus died so that you might, you could leave, you could walk away now. Jesus didn't die for a guarantee. He died that you might stop living for yourself and start living for him. And so you see how the actual the perspective changes and the perspective becomes, I want my kid to be able to do well in sports, but I also want them, and it's more important that they know Jesus. So you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get advice about what's best. Yeah, I do want, I've, I want, I need to have quiet times, but I've been tired this week. It's been a hard week. So many things have come up. You know what I need to do? I need to pray for strength. I need to get help and I need to be honest. I blew it this week, but you know what? It's okay because next week I'm really going to go after trying to be more connected with God. And you know what? I know midweek's coming up and I haven't really been to few, uh, very many of them. Uh, but honestly, I just don't like going because Wednesdays are hard at work. Wednesdays are really hard. But instead of like, I, I got to go to earn righteousness. No, how about I just get advice or how about I, how about I talk to somebody about how I'm feeling? Because you know what that does, churches? It helps us get deeper. And then you know why you're making decisions. Why are you having your kid do what they do? So when someone asks you, why wasn't your kid at practice? Oh, we're just really, really, really into church. You know, I mean, no, you say, well, we, practice is important, but also for our kid, we really want them to be able to know Jesus first. And most importantly, we try to help teach that priority. And they go, you are a different species, aren't you? You are different. And you go, hey, how come you're coming in? Like, you know, I see you reading your Bible at your desk. What is that? That's, well, I just, I didn't have a good enough quiet time. I wanted to read a little bit before work. And you can see how just living your best for Christ, evangelism. They get to see somebody who's not just some fake, some come to church, some do these things, but somebody who's really wrestling to please God with all their heart. Because if God gave us his very best in Jesus, how can we not give our very best for him? And if we simply do that, no matter how much you fail, no matter how much the top Jenga pieces get knocked, we have a, we have a cornerstone that will not be shaken. We have a, no matter what happens with the top, no matter what happens with other stuff, this will nev- no one can ever take away what you have with Jesus until ever. Even when you die, it still goes on. Our bodies cannot limit it. And so I want to encourage us today as we take the cup and the juice, we're going to pray right now. And we're going to pass those around and, and remember what Jesus do- has done for you. And I want to give us an opportunity to be able to think about as we go home, as we have quiet times this week and as we build family this year, how can I make Jesus my cornerstone? Um, and so let's go ahead and say a prayer and we'll have pass the trace for communion. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, we're so grateful uh, for everything that you give us. Um, God, I, I love that that you're a perfect God, that you just want us to be able to do our very best, but you want us to be able to get deep. And God, I pray that we can all be babies, God, who crave spiritual milk. God, that we just want to be able to get, uh, God, we want to be able to understand the basics, God, that we don't want to try to 
pretend we're more advanced or more mature than we are. And God, I pray that you protect the church this year. God, I pray as we go after living like disciples, we know that friction will come. God, we know that it'll be difficult at times, but I pray, God, that we are not shaken, that we're not surprised, that we're not surprised, God, by what comes our way, but that we can have a true and chief cornerstone in your son. We're grateful, God, that you give us this great beginning to the year. Uh, God, you give us a chance to be able to refocus and reassess. And I pray that all of us, God, this morning, that if we are not in a right place with you, God, that we don't wait another minute, God. That forget our phone as it buzzes or conversation as it goes to some shallow topic. God, I, I pray that we can seek out getting right with you as soon as possible. That all it is is a decision, that you don't have to be perfect. None of us are, God. It's just a decision to be able to live for you, God. I pray for those in this room who've already made that decision, that you can protect us, God, from Satan's attacks. Protect us from anxiety, God. Protect us from fear. Protect us from trying to appear world, uh, successful to people. Just to uh, protect us, God, from shallowness. Uh, God, as we look back on the last year, we're grateful for all the beautiful, incredible, amazing things you've done. God, I know my wife and I are so grateful for this church. We're so grateful for all the people who fight so hard just to please you in situations apparently much more difficult than our own. God, we're grateful for the examples in the church. We're grateful for the the fathers, the husbands, the the wives, the the mothers. God, we're grateful for the friends, the peers. We're grateful for the children. Uh, God, that we get to see their joy or your your joy in them. God, you've just given us so much. And I just thank you for that. And as I, as I even preached this morning, God, I just thought, oh my goodness, God, how much have you done? Uh, it's a mir- miracles that none of us can take any credit for. We just, we love you, God. We're grateful for that. And I pray that as we take the bread and the juice that we're not guilty. I pray we're not guilty, God. I pray we're not ashamed, but rather, God, I pray that we can remember your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.